You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. We've been doing this weekly for 13 years now, uh, for a long time out of the studio at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, and uh, since the pandemic, quite often uh, online. So uh, one benefit of that is we get to talk to friends from around the country and around the world. And um, two great folk who had lived in Brooklyn for a long time are now in Massachusetts, and we're able to talk uh, via the online internet. So again, I'm Jimmy, and, and this is our show, Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Support and become a member at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So let's go around the room. Uh, we're going to introduce our guest, uh, Mike. Sure. I'm uh, Mike Delacrila. I'm the co-founder of Hot Plate Brewing Company. All right. And Sarah? Hi, I'm Sarah Rael. I am the owner and brewer at Hot Plate Brewing Company. Okay. So... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a really great email from you guys. It said, wow, we listened to the episode with uh, with Chris and Yahira at uh, Beer Wax and uh, Kevin and Kim of Harlem Hops, and you, you wanted to introduce yourself. So I did some research. <laughs> I talked to Chris Maestro at Beer Wax, and he says, yes, they were great customers for a long time at the bar, and can't wait to, to find out what they're doing at Hot Plate Brewing. So, um, Sarah, let's, let's start with your backstory. You know, um, a little bit about you, how you got interested in beer, maybe some of the first beer styles that you made as a home brewer, things that inspired you um, to, to take it all this way to now opening a brewery in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Sure. Uh, I have been a beer lover since basically I was able to legally drink. I am very much a rule follower. Uh, except for maybe the Budweiser I had on a trip to London uh, in high school. So great <laughs> choice if I'm overseas. Uh, and what was great is that I did my both my undergrad and my graduate at Penn State, where it's actually where Mike and I met. And they had a great bar there called Zeno's, and they had this thing called Around the World in 80 Beers. And it was this passport. Um, they had you know, It was more like a professor bar. It wasn't exactly your um, dollar ice house pitchers type of place. Uh, and looking, I saw the passport and looking back at that, I was like, wow, I had so many different beers that I didn't even know were like, were amazing basically. Wow. Um, and so it was great because that kind of got me past the Bud Light life, the, you know, just those very quantity over quality beers. Um, and then as we were driving cross country from Penn State to uh, California, we stopped at New Belgium. And that's kind of where <clears throat> everything hit for me. It was before they blew up. So it was still a small, tiny place, um, super close quarters for, you know, your new best friends that were strangers a minute ago. And I was just like, I, I want to do this. Um, but we had to use our degrees. So as I started traveling for work, more internationally. Uh, it can be very lonely to be in a country where you don't know the language, but to me it was always, I could find a local pub or a brewery and I found a lot of people just spoke the language of beer. Uh, so I you know, fell in love with English ales and then obviously being able to go uh, to Germany was amazing. And then once we started, once I kind of made the decision to start brewing, it was just, uh, what I, I was like, well, what do I like to make? You know, what what have I had that maybe I could add something a little bit uh, different to that? So um, I believe Mike was the one who started homebrewing first. And then uh, I started after him. I was like, but of course, like the student in me was like, I have to take all the classes. I have to learn. <laughs> so actually, uh, we lived around, we lived around the corner from Bitter Nesters. Uh, so I took lessons with John Paul, and it was really great and they're obviously super helpful we still order a lot of our ingredients from them <laughs> um, all the way from brooklyn and um so we just kind of started brewing what we wanted to drink and for me since i'll always die on the hill of esbs that was one of the things that we i really wanted to make sure that i could brew wow 
That's a great intro. <laughs> you know, um, you, but you, you're also like you've had a career in in uh, like what branding or, or or marketing. I mean, you're, yeah, so I, you're very smart, very smart person. Yes, yeah, she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've spent uh, more than 16 years doing consumer insights uh, for mostly kids and family networks. So um, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, uh, Nickelodeon, and and various others so yeah i love research i'm a nerd but we're, we're 21 and over show just so you know that just to make sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> no kids content no no exactly no kid imagery no santas on the cans yeah. kids but good. um okay so uh and mike for, for you um you have a role in this as well so just tell us how you went from so you were the home brewer and sarah uh, did she surpass you or she was just m more inter into it than you were uh, both are probably true. So um, when I got into it, um, Sarah was traveling a lot, like she said, internationally. And so I was like, you know what, I've always wanted it. I think both Sarah and I wanted to start brewing. And I think for a while we were like, how the hell are we going to brew in like a 600 square foot apartment? And then I started discovering those sort of one gallon kits you can get where it gives you the steeping grains and the, you know, the car, the glass carboy you can use. And so you get basically all the ingredients in a little box and I was like oh okay well let me let me try this and so what's funny is they give you a recipe and you can follow it fairly easily and so if you follow all the instructions correctly it usually comes out okay and so I was like oh cool I can make beer except that you don't really know the science or all of the different rules about brewing so if you do make a mistake and you don't exactly know why or how you made a mistake um, and it came out terribly you're not exactly sure why and it becomes sort of like frustrating and, and somewhat defeating. So I started getting kind of frustrated with the fact that it was hit or miss for me. And unlike Sarah, I was like, I'll just like read on the internet and like figure this out myself. And um, when Sarah started taking classes with John, um, her skill level increased obviously exponentially. And then I think the other thing was not only did she help share that knowledge with me, but then when we started writing our own recipes, I was very like by the book, like I would be like, here's a porter recipe, you know, you get that, uh, there's a book out there, I forgot who the author is, but it's basically like brewing 80 classic beer styles, it might have been John Palmer, or someone like that. And they're all just basically right down the middle, like BJCP style beers. And so for me, it was like, okay, I'll just tinker with this a little bit. And Sarah would just be like, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Why all don't right. we throw chamomile on a Blondale? And I was just like, you know, for me, it was very much like the German purity laws, the Rhein-Heinz-Kabat. And I'm like, no, no, you can't do that. And so she started making these beers that I'm like, the proof was in the pudding. Like, wow, okay, like you have a knack for it. And, you know, she grew up cooking from a probably too young of an age, to be honest. Um, her family owned a Mexican restaurant and her grandmother was an incredible cook. And so once we got to the point where our technical knowledge was increasing, it becomes more about expression. And so I saw that she was... I think just more inspired to play around in a way that I was just always, I think, more fearful of what if this comes out wrong or what if this just isn't good. And so she had better instincts, I think. And and I think what was also helpful was that when we would serve the beers that she would make, not only would our friends have it and like it, but we used to have tasting parties at our condo. These were the pre-COVID times. And what would happen is the parties would be very gendered where the guys would come over and drink beers and their significant others would, you know, be polite, and maybe take a sip. And she would make certain beers where even the women, and, and I hate this because obviously Sarah's on a mission to like not have this sort of gender wall of like, you know, guys drink beer and women drink other drinks. But what would happen is they'd be like, Oh, I've never had something like this before, or I really do like this. And so for me, it was like, I knew that she was making good beer because we were drinking it ourselves and enjoying it. But when I saw other people really kind of hop on board and really like it and champion it as well, then I was like, okay, she really is onto something. I'm not just sort of like blinded by my love for her. Like it really is, you know, <laughs> that she's doing something good, good here. And so, um, so, for, so for me, I think I was kind of her first convert, but I also was able to see that other people really had the same reaction. Well, that's great. You got, you got a lot of uh, feedback, I'm sure from, from your friends. Um, Sarah, let's just back to this because I love this home brewing to, to pro brewer story. Um, it, it's it's still inspiring and, and it's it's great for others to learn about, especially now that our friend Julia Hertz is running the the American Home Brewer Association. Mm -hmm. um, definitely mm -hmm. want to spotlight you know those of you who who really 
took it from homebrew to pro. Um, you know, early on, um, Bitter and Esther's and, and, and John, you want to say a few things about his role in the community? Because he's really like the last of the homebrew shops, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, uh, of that quality and, and what he offers um, and kind of how, at least for me, again, not seeing myself um, in this industry before, you know, not seeing people who look like me, um, it was very hard to go in there and say, I don't know anything, teach me, or here's what I think I know. Am I right or am I wrong? Um, and everybody who works there is very knowledgeable, very approachable. And the way that he has, you know, organized the classes, I, I believe they've changed since COVID, but when you could go there and do it, it was just so to me, so easy to digest and allowed for a lot of good explanation at a basic level. And then, hey, here's where you can go learn more. Here's where you can do this. But it wasn't overwhelming. Uh, and I mean, from the first one, from like the Brewing 101, I remember I was at a table with a couple of people who had like obviously gotten a group on or something. I don't even know. They were just like kind of there to have fun. And I'm sitting there with my notebook, like ready to take notes, writing on the printout of the PowerPoint and everything. Um, so he's always been great, uh, a great resource to talk about stuff or just, you know, just someone that can help you through and, and answer questions. And uh, Mike worked there briefly part time. And so he really got, ingrained in that type of thinking and just how to talk to people uh, about beer and, and, you know, manage customers who think they know everything, those who don't know anything, but you can tell they're kind of shy to ask, uh, and then, you know, anywhere in between. So he's, he's been amazing. You know, just, just so you know more about me, about 10 years ago, I was gifted one of the intro classes at Bitter and Esther's, and I basically got stuck at sanitation. <laughs> so I, I'm more of a short order cook. I, I I don't I never quite could handle fermentation because I usually screw it up. So I have a lot of respect for you. <laughs> um, so like let's go through some of those beer styles and and you know the early successes. Like you, you like ESB. Let's talk about a beer that might have inspired you, whether it's an English beer or a craft beer. And then the style, because I think the styles are important and it sounds like it is a great way to learn how to brew. Yeah, so um, the first beer that really inspired me was Greenpoint when they were at their old location. They had a milk and honey beer. And that was the first time uh, that I think that's what they called it, um, that I had heard of like brewing with lactose and things like that. And I was like, why am I? why am I enjoying this beer so much? And that's where I came to understand about mouthfeel and, and all of that. And I was like, oh, that's when it was just like, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn. I'll never know anything, um, you know, freaking out that, that I can't do what I want to do, but just kind of, again, digging into that. What does this mean? What does, what does it mean to brew with lactose? What, why is this their beer that they chose? Um, and kind of looking into that style uh, and then, and not really being able to find something similar to that. Uh, and then obviously like I love old speckled hen that was that's one that luckily there's a store near us now that carries it but that one's a hard to find uh, one that's hard to find in the states I think um, bunker brewing is doing one kind of a nitro style in a can called chickadee which is really cool um, but that one for me again it's to me it's about that part of the culture that that I feel like beer connects to like you know you just go have a couple pints you can get a half pint like that that blew my mind when I could order a half pint of something I was like wait I don't have to have a whole thing yeah um so again it's just that you know just thinking about like what what all of that um had to go through and then understanding that you can have a low ABV beer and it tastes good <laughs> and uh, you can have many of them if you want, or you can just have a few. So that's, it's just kind of the whole cultural culture around um, that pub culture that I like. And I think one of the things too, just to chime in on that, because I remember when you were traveling to London a lot and how much your beer drinking changed as a result of that, because, you know, they're very proud of their Maris Otter grain and their malt forward beers and this was at the same time when New England IPAs were blowing up. And so everyone was so hop crazy and continues to be obviously so hop crazy in the United States. And I think even before we started brewing, you were just becoming more fascinated, I think, with kind of the maltiness and the fact that there mm -hmm. were so many flavors you can get out of the malts. And it doesn't all have to just be, you know, because I was that early, you know, so this is dating Sarah and I both, but 
you know, when we were first getting into craft beer, that's when sort of Stone and Sierra Nevada and a lot of those West Coast IPAs were, were really big. And so I loved those super big IBU beers and Sarah wasn't really into that. And I think seeing that there could be these really delicious beers that were very, you know, malt driven, I think was helpful for you to find that. Um, the other thing I think for both of us was the first time we ever went to Belgium. Um, those styles really blew our minds because we, at that point, we were like, oh, okay, we pretty much know kind of the beer landscape. And then you try the Trappist ales and you have the Saisons and you have all these other things. And, and then the yeast from all the Belgian style beers, I think really excited us as well. And, you know, Sarah definitely loves to play with Saisons and I'll let you speak to that. But I think that's another style that I think really kind of opened up your, your mind quite a bit in terms of what you can brew and how you can play with that. Yeah, and of course, you know, <laughs> having a a Belgian beer that has crossed the ocean versus going there and having it on tap in, you know, what are some ridiculous glassware that I absolutely love. Um, and you can still, I think uh, Washington Commons still has one of the the serving styles. It's awesome. But, uh, you know, just going there and being like, oh my gosh, this is, what am I tasting? And again, just sitting there and being, you know, people call it like mindfulness now, but just being present of what I'm doing. Uh, because I always find just beer in general as a fascinating thing that we are making something that, you know, physically uh, and chemically changes our brain for a little bit. And it's just like, here, stranger, <laughs> drink this potion that I made, you know? So it's just like, it, it's, it's so bizarre to me that we're like, yeah, let's do this. Uh, and now we're friends. But, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And now we're the best of friends. Uh, and so going and learning more about the Belgian styles and understanding why those all came to be, I was like, oh, those that can be really simple. And it just reminds me a lot of um, when my grandmother used to talk about, um, you know, she grew up in Mexico, of kind of their culture of cooking and, and using the resources around them. And, and to me, that's the same. Um, I mean, every beer, almost every beer style has that story. But for me, the the Belgian styles and saisons really resonated with me. Oh, that's great. Well, I know you, um, let's talk about going up to Pittsfield because you were in Brooklyn and, and you're opening in Pittsfield. So tell me the plan mm -hmm. and, you know, when you're going to open. And, you know, I saw some, I just posted a really cool reel that you had of some equipment coming in. So it, it looks really exciting. Yes. Yes. It's exciting and terrifying uh, all within the same minute. Uh, so we had wanted to, we had kept our eyes open a little bit uh, for places in the Catskills because uh, we had just been frequented that a lot. Uh, Mike has a riding mentor that teaches at Williams here in uh, the Berkshires. And so he'd been, he'd been coming up a couple of times for riding workshops. You're in Western Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah Western Massachusetts. Yeah. So we're actually Berkshire County. Um, so Pittsfield is the center of Berkshire County and Berkshire County is the westernmost part of the United, of, sorry, not United States. The, uh, of Massachusetts, and it actually borders uh, Connecticut, New York, and Vermont. So it's actually a huge, vertically huge county. Um, and we're only about 20 minutes from the New York border, uh, which is nice. So when we kind of were like, oh, let's, let's look here. And of course, thinking about, you know, well, how to make this harder on ourselves. We're like, sure, why not? Massachusetts, some quite archaic alcohol laws. You know, like there are no happy hours. You know, you can't discount beer. Like all these kind of ridiculous things. But uh, the culture spoke to us and and we, Mike can speak to kind of how he became connected to Pittsfield because um, he really did the groundwork. I was, I was doing the groundwork of, you know, being really involved with, um, the brewers and kind of cold calling the brewers around here to get some, you just like, Hey, why are you in the Berkshires? What have you done? What are your consumers like? And Mike kind of did the, the business side of things of really helping us find a place and, and um, find a community that welcomed us. Oh, great. So Mike, let's talk about that because um, you know, especially in the pandemic, I feel like a lot of people moved out of New York city, but you still are connected to New York. I almost feel like, there's this big area that I'm calling the sixth borough. Uh, <laughs> tell us about Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Because you're, sure. you're really, so, if you're, it sounds like you're right next to New York. It seems like more New Yorkers go there than, than anyone else. I think that's true. I think that what, what I've seen and what I've heard is that Bostonians sometimes come out to the Berkshires, but they also will sometimes go up Maine or to the Cape. So 
a lot of New Yorkers will escape to the Berkshires just because it is only like a three hour drive. Um, and, you know, I think our journey actually started a couple years before um, COVID actually, you know, so we were, we were part of that trend of people leaving New York during COVID, but um, our transition away from New York actually started probably in 2017. The condo that we were living in, which, you know, funnily enough was across the street from Beerwax, we had a code violation in that building and the city came and shut off the gas. Wow. Um, that's actually how we got the name Hot Plate Brewing Company was because <laughs> Sarah was like, no, F this. I'm not giving up on this dream again. I'm going to keep brewing. And so we went out and got a hot plate and kept brewing on a hot plate. Um, and and we then you know turned that into kind of a symbol of resiliency. But what was happening was um, we were trying to, we meaning the entire building. So they cut down, cut off the gas for the whole building. And I was on the condo board. So I know too much about the bureaucratic nightmare of trying to get the, working with the DOB and the developer of that building. And it was this nightmare that stretched over the course of three years. Um, so the way that we were kind of living in from 2017 till COVID hit was we were showering at the gym, um, and, you know, doing what we could to, you know, get heat from a space heater. And it was just insane the way we were living. And then when COVID hit and they turned or they shut down the gyms, we're like, okay, we've got to get out of here. Like we, we, this is just completely an unlivable situation. So we knew that it was time to leave and, we started working on a business plan and we were like, okay, you know, if ever there's a sign from God, like it's time to change your life. It's like probably a global pandemic that happened, you know, once a century. So I started kind of reaching out to different people and there's an economic development group up here called one Berkshire. And so I just sent them an email and not knowing much about the area. Um, we just basically looked at the demographics and Sarah being a researcher by trade, she was able to just kind of pull some basic numbers about like, hey, here's what the average craft beer consumer looks like in terms of their age, their income level, stuff like that. And so I called them and I'm like, looking at these numbers, it seems like Berkshire County is incredibly underrepresented um, from a craft beer or underserved from a craft beer perspective because there are only five breweries in the entire county. And there are, I think, 140 something full-time residents plus all the tourists that come here. And they were like, yes, absolutely, we would love another brewery. So I started talking to them, and they helped put us in touch with a number of um, people in different towns and different communities. And one of the things that we found was um, in downtown Pittsfield, there wasn't a, an urban taproom or brewery that was really matching the kind of concept and vision Sarah and I had in our head. And there was also this story about how General Electric used to have um, one of their headquarters in Pittsfield. Jack Welsh, I believe, was born... Um, in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And so GE had been there for a very long time. And as the people around here will tell you, they were the biggest employer of the area. And when things were good for them, things were good for Pittsfield. But like much, much of manufacturing that fell by the wayside, they shut down. And you know, for me, that really struck a chord because my father um, had worked in manufacturing his whole career. And so that idea of a town that's sort of been left behind when a factory shuttered its operations. Like just, there was an emotional connection that was just beyond business for me. And the kind of funny thing was in the wake of that, a number of economic development resources have been um, provided to Pittsfield from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And so when we spoke with um, the mayor and what they call the, the mayor's red carpet team, so different business development people and other members of the city of Pittsfield, um, we presented to them our vision for what we wanted the brewery to be and, and what we were thinking. And so they were able to actually provide us with some economic incentives. Um, so having them kind of champion our cause was great because we're really bootstrapping this whole thing. Like, um, I wish Sarah and I were made of money. I wish we just came into like, you know, $2 million and just, you know, bankrolled the whole thing ourselves. But having them be, you know, an investor and a supporter of us when we were still just raising friends and family money was the difference between this happening and not. Um, and then once people, this is a very close knit community. And once people heard that we were coming and once we moved up here, um, everyone has just been so excited and so supportive to the point where, you know, Sarah and I often, I think, pinch ourselves because we just can't believe that our story is resonating with people and that there is this much excitement for us coming. And so um, it's really been this great symbiotic thing where we're trying to build something new. The city's looking for some revitalization of their downtown area. And um, we're all kind of working together to make this happen. So it's, um, you know, we, we still have a little bit of a ways to go. We're still a couple of months away from opening, but 
yeah, like you said, uh, the day our equipment came, this started to get real in a way that it hadn't been before. And I think, um, you know, it's it's just been kind of a crazy journey for us. Wow, that's a great intro. Sarah, so you, you, could you tell me about, I have a book in front of me that just came out. It's called Drink the Northeast by my friend Carlo DeVito. And I couldn't really figure out if there was anything about Pittsfield in there. What, what are what are some of the breweries around you um, that you checked out while you were, you know? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I believe there are more than 220 in the entirety of uh, the Commonwealth of Mass. And again, only five here. So uh, there's one that will be um, actually there is one in Pittsfield called Wandering Star. Um, and they do. Uh, he's he's British. So, you know. I'm a huge fan of that, obviously. Uh, and so he has a ton of experience. He's actually BJCP certified. Uh, so he's always helpful in tasting our beers. There is Shire Brewhouse, which is in Dalton, which is um, about 15 minutes away. And uh, they are doing some really good uh, things, like really have a ton of different New England IPAs on there. We've gotten to brew with them. They are... Uh, part of their investors or part of the, the team business team comes from the crane family so they have this really cool space in what's called the stationary factory and all their equipment is custom made like crane stationary yeah like crane paper oh, yeah. Good. Wow. Uh, yep and and uh yeah and and andrew crane um kind of started it with the with the head brewer nick um they grew up together so um it was just like yeah let's do this and so um nick has done some really fun stuff and and like he was one of the first people i called I was like yeah come join and it's funny because i've kind of learned this now to always ask what would you change about your brewery and um he's like do not get your stuff custom built <laughs> and it was just like everything was just short and stout um to fit into this this basement area but it's such a cool space uh and then to the north we have uh bright ideas brewing they're on the campus of mass mocha and they have been super helpful they have allowed me to come brew with them i've done the pink boots collab with them um orion the owner he invited us to pour some samples at the fresh grass festival this past weekend which is a huge music festival on the campus of mass mocha um and they've been very helpful of just like hey, you know, uh, you, there's been disruptions in grain, like how have you changed your ordering? You know, can you send me a, a blueprint of where your tanks are located? Because uh, they're kind of similar size. And then there's also Barrington Brewing Company. And they, um, they're two owners, they, the brewer trained in England. So again, my, my heart goes to that. They have these serving tanks. And I was like, oh, living the dream of having serving tanks uh, rather than kegs. So they've been really helpful in kind of showing us their stuff. And then Big Elm, which is down in Sheffield, closer to the Connecticut border. And Christine and Bill, who own that, they actually had a brewery in Pittsfield a number of years ago. Wow. Um, called Pittsfield Brewworks, and they were also running a restaurant at the same time. Wow. And they realized that, like, they didn't want to do the restaurant part. So uh, they moved down and bought a, a much larger kind of commercial space down in Sheffield. And again, Christine has allowed me to just come join her on a brew day. Uh, we canned the other day. Uh, it's been really great. And she, again, has has answered questions like, how much trash do you produce a week? You know, just like <laughs> things to to kind of like, tell me more about that yeast. Wait, you know? so, so, so let, nice let's that, go back. These, yeah. these questions, I want to hear all your questions. So I'll ask you the question. <laughs> the first one was, what would you change about your brewery? And you said, and the, and the Shire said, don't order custom. Is that what it was? Yeah, so they, they're in a very um, small place because uh, it's in the basement of this, of this stationary factory. Um, and so they have this huge space that is also has a restaurant, which I believe they've divested from, but someone has taken that over. And so they have, um, I mean, it basically looks like you took a regular like brew house and just smashed it down. Like everything's just stout. Yeah. They have a low ceiling. So everything yeah. has to be wider um, than it is tall. So everything had to be kind of designed that way. So he's saying that everything custom was too expensive. Is that what he was saying? 
And I think um, just, again, the nightmare of, as, as we've now seen, the nightmare of getting equipment in and being uh-huh. able to change it out and grow it. So they actually have um, a larger high ceiling garage where they've kind of gotten some larger, I believe, 15 and 30 barrel fermenters um, so they can kind of expand that way. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk about your space. So tell me a little bit about what your space is like, the kind of equipment you're going to start with. I mean, I saw sure. I saw some pictures on Instagram, but let, let's tell our listeners because we're not yeah. we're not looking at video. So, yeah, so we'll be uh, in downtown Pittsfield, uh, off of North Street, which is the main street. We're going to be um, on School Street, so it's right off of North Street, uh, right next to the police station, which some people love, some people hate. I'm totally <laughs> excited about it, uh, and. Our capacity tap room or like people capacity, I believe is like 99. So we'll have a small tap room. Um, We're gonna have 12 taps and we have a seven barrel brew house with seven, or sorry, with six seven barrel uni tanks. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, so fairly fairly simple. (laughs) So like this little thing, so like particularly about your town and that state, how did they come about giving you 99 person capacity? I believe that it is based on the uh, square footage. And it's funny, I was just reading something as we're applying for our state liquor license. I was following up on some of those numbers. Um, So it does have to do with, I believe, like the number of exits, the square footage, kind of all that ability to get around and move around. Yeah, I think it's Um, like 1.5 square feet per person or something. Someone was just telling me that there's like a calculation you do to figure out what the capacity is. Yeah, so, um, and we're in, we are in the the bottom floor of a building that has been totally renovated, but done in a historical conservation way. Um, and there are six floors, there's residences above us. Uh, so it's kind of that part of that, you know, that we're obviously living in Brooklyn for so long, we're used to like, oh, everybody just lives above all the buildings. Um, and then, yeah, so, and then the brew house, um, I think it has a capacity of eight, but it's it's it actually looks much bigger now with all the tanks and everything. I was very much stressing out while looking at all the blueprints. So. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's amazing that you guys got started. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member and support us. And we're going to have great shows all year round. All right, guys. I can't stop thinking about this this, this show we're doing right now. Hot Plate Brewing, Sarah and Mike moved from Brooklyn to Pittsfield, Mass. And I'm just like fascinated just learning about their, their journey. Um, she's a great home brewer and they're very close to opening a, a licensed brewery in Massachusetts. So Sarah, let's keep talking. You, you told me about, you know, the, the build out and the capacity. Um, so for you choosing to open a brewery, city versus country, um, what were the factors that that led you to want to be in a city rather than just out in the the rural areas? Did you ever think about not being in a city? 
Oh, absolutely. Because for me, the dream was like, I'm going to, you know, open up a place that has an outdoor space, you know, a, a fence where we can just like fence in the children to run around, you know, let <laughs> we them clearly be. don't have children. Yeah, we clearly don't have children. <laughs> so I'm like, just keep them there. Um, and just to be able to have a place to have events and things like that, because I, I love, you know, it's, there's not always warm weather on the East coast. And so anytime you can sit outside with a beer and decent weather is very exciting to me. Um, but also understanding that <laughs> going through our drama with our condo and understanding what it takes to um, replace a boiler, or even there were some buildings we looked at like, Oh, there's no uh, sprinkler system. And I'm like, well, that's an entire budget like that. We can't how how can we get this decrepit building and build it out? Uh, so it was, again, kind of managing our wants versus our needs. And we do not have outdoor space, unfortunately. We, we are trying to figure out how we can get maybe a couple tables on the sidewalk during the summer. Um, but it was also for me personally, I'm like, I, I'm going to basically be living there. You know, it's, we do not have children, but I feel like I'm going to be giving birth soon and have <laughs> sleepless nights and things. So it it really had to be a place that I wanted to go to. And, you know, it wasn't because if I'm making this life change and I'm creating this job for myself, it's like, well, I have to get up and want to go to work every day. Um, and then looking at places, again, we wanted it to be extremely welcoming. We want it to um, feel safe. And so when we found this space, it was like, okay, yes, I have to give up on some of the things and obviously building improvement and, and you know, overall the cost of just everything has gone up. Uh, so we did really try and weigh our pros and cons about each type of space and thought that um, for the things that we wanted for ourselves and then what we wanted to provide a community, that the space was the best. Yeah. And then little things like, well, not little things, but, you know, you mentioned sprinkler systems, you know, sewer and water. I've heard about brewers in, in more, let's say not urban areas that have had capacity limits based on their sewers. Um, like mm -hmm. I know some places, even in like Red Hook, New York, you can only have a certain number of seats based on the, the city's sewer capacity. Um, right. Did you have to think about things like that? Um, luckily the building that we are in, um, just, I mean, again, dream scenario. I have my own private bathroom. I have a shower so I can shower on a brew day. Um, but this, this place has, um, bathrooms already there that we don't have to take care of, but looking at kind of what the cost of everything would be. So when we were going over our business plan and kind of got some rough numbers about what the cost of water would be. Everybody has asked us about that. Like, is this number correct? Because it's ridiculously high because we are getting an estimate based on water used, but it's not all going down the drain. So that's what's challenging of really understanding where we can uh, figure out a way to understand how much water we're actually using uh, versus, you know, going out the door as beer versus going down the drain. Um, so as of now, I mean, they've done a good job of modernizing the building. So I haven't, I don't think we'll have any concerns. Um, and we're working with a great team who uh, have been in business for literally hundreds of years. Um, so it's the Allegroni uh, team that we're working with and they're, they're, they've just been great. And I totally trust them to have done all this due diligence of things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, one of the things we found was that, you know, it was really a matter of what were the alternatives. And so a lot of the buildings that were in more rural settings, like Sarah was saying, it was just, they were older, they required more money. And, and we are doing this on, you know, it's a, it's a number that's like staggering for us, but it's a shoestring budget in the scheme of things. And we just had to make concessions there. And, and so I think that plus, we were just also worried about if we put something in the middle of nowhere, like, is anyone going to show up? You know, and so having something that was at least, you know, connected to a city, connected to other things, you can build that density that way. Yeah. Is there a good coffee shop nearby? There is. Uh, it's yep. at the end of the other end of North Street called Dottie's. And it's it's great. They have both um, coffee and good baked goods. So generally, do you like Pittsfield? Do you feel like it's 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 worth a visit? We definitely we yeah. definitely have fallen in love with living here. And, you know, there 
there are two things. One is I think no matter where we were going to end up was going to be better because it was going to have heat, hot water, and a, you know, a functioning stove. But I think, you know, beyond just our living conditions, what's really great for us is we, we both actually in what free time we have love to go on hikes and spend time outdoors. And one of the things we love about Pittsfield is that you can go downtown and have that kind of urban feel. It's obviously not as congested as what we're all used to, but it has at least like a, you know, sort of Main Street USA type of downtown, but then five minutes in any direction, you're on a trail, you're at a lake, you know, and so the access to the outdoors has been great. Um, we're not necessarily theater people people ourselves, but there's Barrington Stage Company that's just a couple blocks away from where the brewery is going to be. And they have a lot of, um, you know, Broadway performers who come through and, you know, either something that just came off Broadway or maybe they're trying to get something onto Broadway. And so they have a lot of stuff there. So um, you know, and then up in other towns, there are museums and things to do there. So there was a good mix of like culture plus um, the outdoors. And so it was just a, re a really nice mix there. And the other thing is I, I love music and there's just live music everywhere. We're not too far from Tanglewood. Um, and, you know, the musicians we've met in Pittsfield are all extremely talented. And so it's just been kind of a nice mix, a slower pace of life for us as we started getting older and, and a place like Sarah said, you know, this is, if we're creating our own jobs, we can't complain about it. Like when you work for someone else, it's like, okay, well, I don't like this. I don't like that. It's like, if we're making this choice, we have to really want to be there. And, and when we were looking at different places, this just really jumped out at us as a place that has um, a lot of the elements that we like. And the other thing that really is exciting for us is because there is this work to revitalize downtown Pittsfield, we can be a part of something to try to make an impact about kind of what the next generation of this is going to be. And that's, you know, as Sarah oh, yeah. said, we want to serve the community. And, you know, if we went into a more mature market and, you know, okay, great. Like, you know, the thing that we saw that happened, and believe me, this is a good thing, but, you know, from what, 2012 till now, how many breweries came to Brooklyn? Um, there are so many breweries here or, you know, in Brooklyn. And so if we were joining a community like that, one more brewery isn't that impactful. Being the only brewery in downtown Pittsfield um, it's a different story. You know, we can help shape what that night out now looks like or that weekend spent here now looks like. And um, we talk a lot about this with other businesses in the area of just what does what does this whole experience look like for someone coming for New, from New York? Because one thing that you may not know about, but they started doing this um, train service that goes directly from Grand Central to Pittsfield. Wow. Um, it's called the Berkshire Flyer. And so they did a pilot program that started, I think, right after Memorial Day and ran through the summer. And next year, it's going to be a little bit longer. But it's a two-year pilot program, um, Amtrak working with both Massachusetts and uh, New York to try to like get people back up to the Berkshires. And so next year, we're super excited because the train station is literally like a block and a half away from our tap room. And so how do we find a way to not only serve the local community, but when tourists come, you know, there's a great hotel on North Street called Hotel on North, and there are some great restaurants. And it's like, how can we all work together to provide an experience for New Yorkers coming to the area so that when they're done on a hiking trail, they have something to do for the rest of the day and they have a nice place to stay and they can go grab a nice meal. And so, you know, it's been really exciting to just even as newcomers be a part of that conversation. Wow, congratulations. It sounds like a scene from the that classic movie, White Christmas where everyone <laughs> arrives on the train in that little town. Uh, so you, you're yes. really on to something. Yes. That, that, now I'm, I'm grasping this. So um, but just back to more topics, we, we kind of touched on home brewing and entrepreneurship. Um, I know you wanted to talk about uh, Sarah being a, a Latina, and Latina means woman brewer. Um, let, let's talk about that, because it seemed to be in your pitch, you did want to talk about that. So yeah, it, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it was hard not seeing myself represented, uh, you know, behind the bar in more than just a beer server or beer tender way. And so that's what kind of, there were not, I mean, there were a number of things I, I didn't dive in right away when I graduated college to, to do this. Um, but that's one of the things that gave me pause. Uh, and then it was just, I, you know, I've, always been extremely stubborn. I always, you know, asked why I couldn't play basketball with the boys because they played rougher and that's how I wanted to play. Uh, so there was a period where 
you know, I was just like, I guess I do this. I guess I just go get my job. And then after I was like, then I found out about pink boots and I was like, oh my goodness, there's a whole society for women in fermented beverages. And they used to be, uh, now they have like a, an entry level, uh, membership program. But prior to that, you could only join if you had 25% of your income or more from the fermented beverage industry. So I just annoyed them enough and said, can I please come to your meetings? I, you know, I'll pay $10 or something. And I started going to meetings and everybody was so welcoming. Um, and it was funny. My first meeting, I talked to uh, the people who do uh, Wild East. And she was like, oh, we're almost signing our lease. Oh my God. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm just an idea right now. I can't wait to be at that point. And it's funny because Mike and I were just talking about this yesterday. I'm like, oh my God, I'm at that point now where it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like stuff's happening. Um, and so it was very nice because they were all uh, like, hey, you want to look at my books? A ask me a question. Um, and one of the first people I met there was Krista, who you had on podcast. And so it was great that she uh, came from homebrewing as well and just wanted to be part of the industry. And so when she opened up Beer Witch, I was like, hey, I, I would love to learn that side of the business. And she has just, um, again, just someone I can ask a question to um, that's very broad or, hey, where'd you get your chairs? You know, like I've, I've emailed Chris as well. or We texted Chris and like, how tall is your bar? Because I like that height. That's what I want. Um, beer Wax but, and Beer Witch. Yeah, exactly. And so Krista has... Um, so I worked at Beer Witch for a little bit and, and Chris has just become um, an amazing friend and so supportive. And so can I give nice. her a shout out and you can, yes. you can second me if you want. Chris at Beer Witch, we had her on the show a couple of weeks ago in terms of smarts, knowledge and her palate. I, oh my gosh. I, I, she really stands out and, and I know she's going for the advanced Cicerone and um, whether she gets it or not this time. Whoa, she is an amazing beer person. I, it's, it was always great, um, because we would do so many tastings and we would just, what she was able to get from it versus what I was able to get from it. And then it was great also that I could bring her my beers and be like, something's off. I can't pinpoint it. Um, or I don't really like this. Tell you know, tell me what's wrong. But I have texted her a number of times been like, I really need your palate up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, your beers. Yeah. Um, we don't have that much more time, but your beers. Sure. Like, what are you, what are you working on making, you know, your first run, first couple runs, what's going to be on tap in, in Pittsfield? Sure. And then also like someone like Krista Beerwitch, what's a beer that she gave you, you know, feedback on? So, so, um, she was also a fan of my ESB. So I just have to, to do that again. Um, we did a couple of loggers, obviously on a homebrew system, a logger takes up a little more capacity than, you know, than it, like Mike said in the 600 square foot apartment. Um, and she enjoyed our logger, which was, which was great. Um, as for what we'll be doing. So we're going to, our taps, so we'll have 12 taps. Um, it's going to be divided kind of into thirds, um, not exactly. So the first third is going to be kind of more your classic European style. Um, that's where cream ales are going to live, you know, being next to the police station, we should have a good post shift logger. Um, you know, and again, as, as we said, this area, we aren't necessarily competing with big beer, but in a way we kind of are because, you know, would you rather go get a, you know, a, a 30 rack of bud for $25 or, you know, a pint for six, seven, eight dollars. You know, where where can you do that? So we want to have more approachable beers on that end. And then we're going to have a section that's kind of whatever's popular right now. So New England IPAs are still very popular up here, but as they are so resource intensive and expensive, we're going to kind of do them our own way. So we still get that um, aroma from that. So we've started experimenting with the cryo hops that uh, Yakima is producing. And then the last third is where I like to play. So um, the chamomile blonde ale, that was the first recipe I ever wrote. We do a jalapeno pale ale that we use local jalapenos. And this year, because we're just home brewing, we actually, I don't know how, but successfully grew the jalapenos we used. Um, so I think it was the one, one time I was able to bring something from a, just a little branch to an actual fruit. Um, I don't think I'll try it again. 
But uh, so then, then we'll also, one of the things we're going to do is have a, what we're calling a community line. So uh, understanding how it fits into the production schedule, but we're going to partner with 501c3s. Uh, there are a ton of them here, but we're going to invite them to uh, brew with us their, their beer. We'll work with them on a recipe. And then um, a dollar from each of the pints that we sell will go back to that uh, charity. And then we'll also have like a kickoff bash. So it's, you know, uh, one of the ones we've been talking to uh, is Ales for ALS, which is actually a national one. Um, so we're gonna have, again, that's that part of that giving back to the community and being able to have them be a champion of us as well. That's great. Okay, so while I wait for you guys to open, <laughs> what, what what am I gonna drink? So let, let's, Mike, you mentioned you might have a beer or two that you didn't make um what, what are you drinking this week because I, I i get a lot of beer in the mail not as much as as beer writers because i'm i'm on I'm, <laughs> I'm on the air so i'm not counted as a journalist but um i've got the shoots there they usually send me some good stuff i've got the farm stand Ooh, fresh mango ipa which is a little different um well first let's say what do you think about fruit and ipas because i'm still like torn about that uh, to me, I, it's it's a challenge because, again, as we're trying to understand the cost of ingredients, um, where they're coming from, are you know, are we taking fruit out of something else that could be more beneficial? Um, so it is challenging for me to understand kind of the whole uh, supply chain for for that. Um, so I we have done it, uh, and I think to, it, it depends on like. Can you marry that hop with it? Can you, you know, what's the grain bill? Um, to me, I I like a touch of it. Um, I don't necessarily want to be feeling like I'm drinking an orange juice. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's a good answer. It, it, it's it's challenging. Um, Mike, what, is there a beer that that you're drinking or thinking about today? So I think uh, the one that I settled, it was sort of a nice happy medium between drinking our own and something that's commercially available. Um, there's the Das Boot uh, collaboration that Sarah actually helped brew on. Um, so Big Elm put this out a couple weeks ago. It's their Fall Fest beer. And it was brewed with uh, Christine from Big Elm, Sarah, and then um, Liz from Four Star Farms, which is the only uh, hop grower in Massachusetts. They're based in Northfield. And then um, someone from Brew Practitioners, which is a brewery in Western Mass as well. And so what was kind of exciting was that four different organizations that are female-led came together for this Fall Fest beer collaboration. So been brewing that. Obviously, it's this time of year where having a nice Fest beer is, is kind of our jam. Um, I'm not a big pumpkin beer guy, but I am, in every other respect, a very sort of cliche autumn person. So drinking fest beers and Marzins and, and Oktoberfest and stuff like that. Um, that's what I'll be doing for the next few weeks. That's great. Sarah, what are you drinking this week? Uh, I do have to say a lot of the fest beer. Uh, but we, at the Freshgrass Festival that we were, we were at, we met with a brewer from Fort Hill Brewing. Um, they... I believe they're in West, they're, or sorry, kind of central mass. So uh, we have learned that people who are, are originally from Massachusetts even consider central mass to be Western mass, but that's, you know, that's for a whole nother podcast. <laughs> uh, and so the head brewer will be opening her own place in Palmer mass called um, seven railroads. And she served me, I believe it was brewed through Fort Hill, but it was actually a uh, lime goza. And again, talking about fruit, what's it going to be? How are we going to do that? But it was very reminiscent of uh, Surfcaster from Oxbow or Surfcasting. Um, but the, again, I'm a huge mouthfeel. And Mike has told me a number of times, I can't put lactose in everything. But it was just so smooth and well-rounded. Uh, and it was surprisingly refreshing for, you know, again, leaning into fall and fest beers. I was like, oh, I can still have this. This is great. So, oh, good. And you're not usually a huge Goza fan. So, I right. think that's pretty high praise from you that, that yeah. you liked it as much as you did. And then uh, you mentioned two beers from Maine. You mentioned Bunker, they're, they're, they're chicky, nitro, and chickity. Yeah. And you just mentioned um, Oxbow. Um, 
is that just from because you worked at Beer Witch or? <laughs> Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I was born in LA and moved to New Hampshire when I was eight. So I kind of consider myself an East Coaster. Um, so every time my sister still lives in New Hampshire. So when we would come visit, um, our goddaughters live in, uh, in Eastern Mass. And, you know, every time we can go somewhere and go to breweries, um, we do. And when we were first thinking about kind of making the leap, we're like, well, let's go to Portland because we done Portland, Oregon a lot. So we're like, let's go to Portland, Maine. Um, and that's how we found Bunker. And then the restaurant, one of the restaurants we f frequent here, they know my love of ESVs. And so it's funny, one day I walked in and they looked at me and they're like, we have a beer for you. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> so which ESV did they have? So that was the Chickadee. Oh, that's Chickadee. Okay, that's great. I love, yeah. I love Creston at Bunker going way back. And then lastly, you, you mentioned lactose a couple of times. So yes. are, are you a fan of brewing with lactose? I am. I've taken it back a little bit. Uh, I understand it has its place. And I believe that I have, it, that was a hard lesson to learn because uh, we brewed, so the, the Capable of Anything, which is a chamomile blondale, has lactose. And I used um, a different lactose in a pinch that I did not order from Bitter and Esters. And so I have learned my lesson. Um, I believe John probably, you know, heard me clicking an online order for elsewhere and <laughs> cursed the lactose. It did not come out as I wanted. So I'm like, let's take it back. Let's let's dial it now down a notch and see um, where I can get what I want from it, playing with the grain bill and playing with the chamomile. That's great. Last, I'm going to, one Massachusetts question. So, and a, a woman uh, co-run business is Valley Malt. I know they're in mm -hmm. Central Western Mass. Have you mm -hmm. interacted with, with, with them yet, Andrea? Yeah, so she's, uh, again, one of my cold emails that I was just like, hey, you know, we're opening. Tell me about yourself. And she was really excited. She's like, we can definitely deliver. We just got an electric van. You know, we're willing to drive out. Um, I have not met her in person yet, but I have only heard good things about the local uh, breweries around here and the quality of their malt. And we also have Turner Hill Malt, which is extremely small, um, but they are uh, kind of trying to make the transition to doing larger amounts of malt. And um, we will not be having a mill, so we have to kind of pay a premium to have pre-milled grain. And so we've been actually working with Turner Hill, and he's going to build a mill. <laughs> he's, oh, he comes great. from like an engineering background. So yeah, so I'm excited that we can start using some of their stuff as well. Yeah, that, that, that's that's been one of my, just to give it a plug, Craft Malt's been, been one of my, my favorite things the last couple of years. And uh, I, I really, especially with a small brewery, I think that it, it can help you establish, you know, like a New England identity. Um, that, Absolutely. And, and congrats to you guys. And, I, and I'm looking forward to coming thanks. out and trying your beer sometime. And, and and blessing you on your journey because I, I know Thank what you. it's like Can't to open wait. and it's going to be exciting. And my only advice is remember your friends. Yeah, they'll, they'll help you when you're first open, but ultimately you're going to have customers. So oh, absolutely. your customers will <laughs> sure. be your, your best friends. So exactly. We're going to have to hustle. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to say before we close out? Uh, uh, I know you've shouted out to so many people, John at Bitter and Esther's. Um, Krista at Beerwitch, Chris and, and Yahira at, at Beerwax. Um, any other shout outs you want to give? For me, I also want to just shout out um, Jack and Doug at Bitter Nesters as well. You know, John is kind of the face of the operation, but um, they also, I think, carry a lot of the, a lot of the lift of, of making that place run as well as it does. And like Sarah mentioned, I, I worked there for a short period of time and their customer service is just I don't care what industry you're in. They have some of the best customer service in the world. And, and we talk often about how we try to just mirror what they do there. So um, we were very fortunate to have them in our lives when we did. And Sarah, any, anyone else you want to give a shout yeah, out Yeah, I mean, to? just uh, the, all the amazing women who are part of Pink Boots. Um, uh, Mary Isette has always been extremely generous with her time out of Fifth Hammer. Um, and just, you know, the crew at Wild East, the crew at Strong Rope, they, I, I truly miss their beers. And that's where tasting Strong Rope, I really understood what local grain meant. Um, but it's, it's been the, the women in the Pink Boots Society that have really um, been amazing. And Ann Riley, too. I mean, Ann oh, yeah, Riley's Ann Riley. constantly yeah. helping you get connections, even up here. Like, yeah. she seems to just know everyone. The New York City Brewers Guild. 
right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, this was really great. And Mike and Sarah, thanks for reaching out. This was really a special show. And you're making me want to visit Pittsfield. I bet next year I'll jump Good. on that. That Amtrak, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll bring, fire. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring Chris Maestro up. That would be fun. Perfect. We'll do, that we'll do great. beer wax in the Berkshires. Hey. Perfect. <laughs> there we go. Show. All right. So thanks so much. Thank uh, you so much. Mike and Sarah for Thank joining you. me on Beer Sessions Radio. Big shout out to Armin Spengen, our engineer, and Alex Tran, our producing intern. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Heritage Radio Network. All right. Woo. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.